Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Hope Athinka podcast. I am Wilma Noah, the training and development specialist here at the Native Learning Center. We're glad you can join us today. I have Crystal Sedino with me. And I am also the training and development specialist for the Native Learning Center. Thank you guys so much for rejoining us and listening in on this podcast. And with us today, we have Marie Bonville of Sunlight Armor Homes. Say hi, Marie. Hi, everyone. Today's topic is who does what? All the actors in the home buying process. Thank you, Crystal and Wilma. And hi to everyone. My name is Marie Bonville, as they mentioned, and I am owner of Sunlight Armor Homes, which is a residential remodeling. We're both residential and commercial uh, remodeling services here in Georgia. I'm also a licensed real estate agent, and I am a realtor, which we'll get into um, what the difference actually is. But essentially, having those two roles coupled with my previous experience at the Native Learning Center as their director of training and technical services, I can tell you that housing has primarily been the focus of my professional career, just helping folks be more financially prepared for homeownership, as well as compliance for all my housing folks in the room. Uh, working with ONAP, uh, which is the Office of Native American Programs for Housing. So that's a little bit about my background. Any other questions, Crystal? This is Wilma here. I want to mention that uh, today's topic I would like to share with everyone is who does, who does, who does, <laughs> who does what? All the actors in the home buying process. So who does what? <laughs> I know. That's what it makes you feel like, huh, <laughs> It's, it can be confusing, um, especially when you've been working with someone on, in our case, normally we are in the process of helping folks get prepared financially with their homeownership journey. We certainly want the financial picture to look right and have their credit prepared or, excuse me, repaired to the point where they would ap- apply and be approved for a loan. So I think that it can be very confusing because you get comfortable with one person in particular, and usually that's the person, in our case, it would be the tribal housing office, right? So someone comes in, they want to seek out a home loan, and then they get comfortable with you, but you are far from the only person that they will come in contact with. And so I think it's a great opportunity for you to prepare them for all those people in the process. So why don't you tell us all the actors that are taking a role in this home buying process? When our tribal members are out there getting ready to buy that house. So I think the first person they're usually coming in contact with outside of the housing staff would be either a mortgage broker or a mortgage lender. And so, you know, we have to kind of define the difference. So most banks, the people who actually get to sit in the office, you know, we all know about the tellers and the people that greet you to handle day-to-day transactions within your bank. But way in the back office, there's usually two or three people that handle loans. And so you'll sit down with them and they'll collect information from you in order to pre-qualify you for a home loan. Now, those individuals work for the bank. They work specifically for that one bank and therefore they are going to look at it from that perspective. And I think that is the difference between um, a mortgage broker and a bank loan officer. That loan officer is working for one bank, whereas when you're working with a mortgage broker, that person is kind of an intermediary. He, he or she is going to seek out several different banks in order to provide you with different loan options, usually different interest rates and things of that nature based on the, the different providers they work with. So when you go to a purchase a car, same thing. There's usually someone who's going to shop your loan out to different banks to get the deal done. The drawback to that, though, I think that some people may not realize is that it does, it it can cost you more 
to use a mortgage broker rather than a lender. Their fee would be, usually it's about 1% of the loan. Then again, with loan officers, uh, when it comes to their interest, they do work for the bank and therefore they may not have all have access to all the other programs or loan options, excuse me, available to you. Let me ask you something. What are some things that people should be asking in in the process, like starting off with the realtor, like starting from there and then like, are they going to walk them through the actual process? What's going to happen from here? There's a couple ways that you end up with the the agent, the, the real estate agent. People always kind of get that part confused as well. So I'm glad you brought that up, Wilma. So essentially, if you walked into a bank and got pre-approved for a loan, they've taken a look at your finances. They've looked at your credit. They've decided on whatever loan option would work best for you and your family. And then they can refer you to a real estate agent. And I say agent because there is a difference between a realtor and a real estate agent. And so sometimes most people use those words interchangeably. Same with mortgage broker and loan officer. But a real estate agent mm-hmm. means you're licensed by the state to handle real estate transactions. A realtor is actually an association. So each year a real estate agent can go and apply and become a realtor by attending a membership meeting and learning all there is to learn about what it means to be a realtor. A realtor is a trademark term. It's it's similar to like, you know, how we say hand me a Kleenex <laughs> when really we mean hand me, you know, a tissue. I think people right. have to know that some agents are realtors, some agents are not realtors. And uh, realtors are held to a standard, a higher standard as far as ethical practices and whatnot. So it although we want all our agents to do that, it requires to be a realtor, you have to have additional classes and things of that nature. So that's just what makes it different. I can't say that one is better than the other. I just know they're not one in the same. When you're asked to go to a real estate agent to answer your question, they are going to provide you with a homeownership 101. They're going to explain to you or should explain to you how it works. Some of the processes that you'll have to go through if you're purchasing a home, some of the processes that you'll have to go through if you're going to sell a home. So for example, your first meeting with a realtor, the type of question you would want to ask is, you know, do you work with first-time home buyers? Oftentimes, first-time home buyers are going to take up much more time because they've never been through this process. You can ask questions like, are you familiar with certain areas and certain uh, school districts? They are going to be the ones that you'll work with the most to make sure that they're the right fit. And I feel like you have to feel comfortable with your agent so that you can ask those questions. And also their availability because your schedule and their schedule sometimes may not always be flexible. So being mindful of that as well. So when we're dealing with, you know, this whole process, is it the real estate agent that they're dealing with first or is it like the loan officers that they're dealing with? It goes both ways. Sometimes you have an agent who happens to know someone who's interested in purchasing a home and they will refer them to a loan officer or vice versa. You'll have a loan officer who has taken a client and now needs to help them select an agent. The agent and the loan officer are going to work really closely together in that they have to share the documentation with each other. So oftentimes we have relationships with each other. So a loan officer, and a, as far as referrals go, you'll hear that term a lot. You know, oh, this person was referred to me. In that line of, of work, yes, the loan officer and the agent are going to refer each other back and forth to the clients. But it can happen either way. It's not, it's not linear. So it's not in in that way. You can you can go to a mortgage broker and they will potentially have six or seven different agents that they work with on the regular and vice versa. I can totally see why 
a lot of this ends up being like super <laughs> confusing because like you said it's not linear it's like it's kind of like all over the place yeah it's bit. a little bit it's organized and it's an organized and it's, mess. it's it's organized chaos yeah what yeah. what tends to happen is first we have to define our client so let's say our client is purchasing a home they have gone to a loan officer that loan officer has referred them to an agent right or and that person happens to be a realtor so i can use that now <laughs> um <laughs> Now, at that point, that realtor is going to define what they want in a home. They're going to help them define it. Sometimes you don't really know what you're looking for. The loan officer has provided the agent with a specific number. And it's really important that the agent stay within that number. Because sometimes people like to peek and look outside of their price range, which is never a good idea. It leads to some hearts breaking. So a lot of times as a realtor, I would want to make sure that we're staying within the price point. But we are looking at your, your wants versus your needs and making sure that the people who are within the transactions, so if it's a husband and wife or, or family members, maybe the kids are involved, everyone is, or, or grandpa, grandma, whoever, we want to make sure that everyone's needs are listed and then we can compare and contrast as far as the homes that are available. I think the key takeaway with homeownership and purchasing a home is that it's still a market. Like any other market, there are times when it's going to be good for a buyer and sometimes it's going to be good for a seller. And so that can sometimes change how you have to approach things. If it's a buyer's market, then you could argue there are tons of houses available to choose from, you know, that maybe now sellers are so motivated to sell. Maybe the house has been on the market for a little longer than they wanted it to. And so they're motivated to sell. They may help with closing costs and things of that nature. And that's great for your buyer. There are times when the market is is much tighter and it's not as good for a buyer. And, And in that case, the seller now usually is asking higher prices for the homes and they don't necessarily feel like they have to pay for closing costs because the houses are moving so quickly. So uh, these are the types of things the realtors are going to take into consideration as well when they help you decide on how much to offer on the home. They're looking at comparables. And so I haven't been asked the question yet, but the argument would be, well, how does the realtor decide how much to offer or how does the you know, you, the loan officer has given you a number to go off of, but how do you know how much to offer? Remember in your line of questioning, you asked the realtor, do you know this area? And uh, most often the realtor has pulled up what's considered comparables or uh, cost comparisons. And with that, they can take that information and determine, okay, the last in the last three months, these houses have sold, they're similar to your home, to the home you're interested in. And so based on these comps or comparables, I feel like we would be in a good place if we offered this amount. Now, of course, the it's still the buyers. I mean, this is the largest purchase that they'll ever make. So they still have a right. Um, so it's important that they remember that. It's not like my loan real estate agent said. <laughs> um, it's still your your uh, purchase to make. So, you know, don't feel pushed into having to offer something if you don't feel it. it's worth that. All right. So I have a question for you, okay. Marie. Can you tell me the difference between inspectors and appraisers? Okay, sure. So let's go back to our home on to oh, our per, our person who's wanting to purchase a home. Uh, their agent has showed them several homes to choose from, and they are in love with one in particular. So now that they are have offered an amount, and the seller has accepted the offer, we're going to go into a little uh, space in place called due diligence, and that essentially mm-hmm. just means that the buyer is interested, the seller will 
press pause on selling the home in order for the, the buyer to go ahead and get the home inspected. This person is licensed by the state to be an inspector. They have to have so many hours um, and general maintenance knowledge, et cetera. And so they are qualified to go into the home and check it for several uh, things. Structurally, they wanna make sure things are sound. You will get a very elaborate report. Uh, you can ask for a sample report but essentially, this person is going to go through the home and check to see that things are operating and that there's a certain uh, amount of wear and tear on the home. They're going to check into certain areas to ensure that the home is, if not up to code, they'll explain what, what areas need, need to be addressed. And who gets to pick out the well, inspector? Well, normally, again, going back, this is a very referral-based industry. So a lot of times it's the agents that are referring the inspector. They're saying, look, we have, remember, you're, you're going into a formal dance with the lend with the seller with the whole contracting process you're putting in an offer and then that offer has to be accepted and so depending on what was described in the contract you know it could say that you have five days or ten days to get this inspection done before the seller moves on does that make sense so if that's yes, the case then it's it's really to the agent's advantage if they can have several uh, inspectors that they know and trust to, to really get in there as soon as possible to get that done. Because remember, they got to get in, inspect the house, and then provide you with this report that you need to then go over to determine what you would want the seller to either fix and repair prior to you purchasing the home or if, this, if it was so bad, in fact, that you decided to walk away. So I would say that... In, the inspectors are usually referred to by the by the agent, the real estate agent. And I would even go as far as to say that that price range is usually three to five hundred dollars. So that three hundred to five hundred price range is something that some folks don't anticipate at first. They think that it's all going to be wrapped up in the loan, and that is a cost to the buyer that's usually needing to they need to have handy when they're looking to purchase a home. I've seen it where uh, buyers have had to put out two and three inspections on, on different homes, you know, throughout their process. Well, they, in, they got the one home inspected. They found things that weren't really to their liking, nor did the seller want to fix them. So they had to terminate the contract as a result. They didn't move forward. And then, of course, then the next house they found, there might have been things on the on the inspection report, but nothing to the point where they felt that it was so unnecessarily damaging to the home that they would need they that they needed to have it fixed or they felt it was something they could live with i mean th these things could be as small as the garbage disposal doesn't work or the garage door doesn't work or it could be as as large as you know there's water coming from because uh, they turn on the faucets they really do look through the home for those types of they, they run the water they run the heating and electric the hvac system they'll just run They'll test all the outlets and things of that nature. So it just depends. But uh, definitely the inspection is an important part of the process. And then, um, Crystal, to answer your question, how is that different from the appraisal? The Once you uh, receive the inspection report, then you're moving forward and, and you choose to move forward with the home. Then you move out of that phase I was telling you about, that due diligence usually anywhere from three to five days, sometimes 10 days, depending on the market. But essentially, once you're out of that phase, you and the seller are locked into a contract. Now, who's involved in this contract? Of course, you and the seller, but there's this third person that we're not talking about, and that's the bank. It's still the bank's the one who's going to actually be responsible for providing the money, right? And so I think that sometimes people forget the fact that the appraisal process is really meant to protect the bank because they don't want to... Uh, 
purchase a home um, that's already, you know, maxed out, the value of it is already uh, is overpriced, essentially. So what the appraiser's job is, is to actually go on behalf of the bank and appraise the home based on a lot of factors. One being those comparables I, we talked about earlier, um, just like the agent will do, the appraisal will go appraisal will go around and check to see what, what homes have sold for in the area. They'll also check the size of the lot, like what the land that the home actually lives in, uh, the condition of the home itself, how close it is to desirable schools or public facilities even. And so that location, location, location thing that people talk about, they'll look at that to determine whether or not this home is a value, the value that was actually put in the contract. So so, for example, if you're a buyer and you really want this home and it's priced at 180,000, but you were approved for 250,000, does that mean you can just tell them 250,000? Does that make more sense? It just because you were approved for 250,000 doesn't mean you should offer 250,000 dollars. If the house isn't worth 100, 250,000 dollars, the bank isn't going to lend you that. They have to make sure that it's. Uh, makes good money uh, money sense to them. So the appraiser the appraiser works for the bank. They're they're arm's length away from the transaction. They meaning they don't have anything to do with buyer. They're not going to have any correspondence with the buyers or the sellers for that matter. The the appraiser works for the bank, and so they'll be coordinating their efforts through those professionals. The inspector usually the buyers meet the inspector sometimes at the home um, on the day of inspection. They'll tell them to come out 30 minutes before the end of the inspection, and they'll talk about some of the issues that they found. That relationship's different. The appraiser, usually no one really gets to speak to the appraiser except for the seller's agent, quite possibly, and, of course, the loan officer. The process is so (laughs) not linear. You know, and like I said earlier, you know, it makes sense as to why so many people get confused about like the roles and responsibilities of like everyone involved. And then they're like, well, wait, why is this person Um, here now? Do they really need to be here? Well, I think too that we all know someone who's been renting for a really long time and you think, well, wow, uh, in, in certain times of our economy, we know that it's been better to, your mortgage payment is less than your rent payment. So why not just buy a home? But when you factor in all of these other elements, it does, you can't understand why. Sometimes it's a generational thing. You know, you can have a family who's always owned homes simply because they've already been through the process so many times, they understand it and they're not afraid of it. And so that's that's something that I think on our end, we're trying to do a better job of making sure everyone can be knowledgeable about the process. I was shocked most recently on homeownership knowledge that our kids or preteens or young adults would know about the process as well. Because if you think about it, it really is something that we could maybe clue them in on a lot earlier than I think we do. I would love to see some sort of presentation or curriculum or something that gives them a better insight as to, you know, how can we help the family in this purchase process? Because it it is a lot um, and it could be disappointing if the mom and dad have to wait. I think we're in an age of instant gratification and sometimes it can be hard because this process does take time. If the market is super hot, you have this thing called out there called multiple offers whereby, you know, one house is for sale, but it's got several people offering monies. And I don't know, guys, if you've seen that commercial where an agent walks in and she says, we have multiple offers on the table and she's describing all these different <laughs> loans that are in the the two uh, sellers are kind of like, we don't understand. So not only on the buyer side, as I've been describing, but on the seller side, you have people who are selling their homes who are just as uh, unaware of the process as well. 
Oh, so Wilma had a question. She wanted to know how long does it take for the closing process? Is there ever like a situation? Like, is there ever like a, oh, this is dead set? Or is it like so? I have, I wish I could share with you all the memes that us agents have about closing. (laughs) They are hilarious. Um, But to answer your question, I would say that when you go into the contracting process, you usually give it about 30, 30 to 45 days. Uh, there's so many different factors determining when a house will close. It's uncanny. Like I, even as I speak, you know, if it's a cash offer, um, you may have heard that term before, which essentially means that the buyer is purchasing the home in all cash, meaning they have it. There won't be any banks involved. Of course, that's going to go a lot quicker, right? We haven't even yeah, scratched the surface on title, which essentially means ownership of the home. Of course, when anyone's going to purchase a home, you want to make sure that the person you're selling, that who's selling it actually has the right to sell it. So it goes through a process, this house, over 30 days or so, in which we are they're going to review the title, make sure that that can be transferred over without any issues, that the person selling it has the right to sell it, that the person yeah. purchasing it will purchase it, and that the bank will close on the loan. Normally, when you hear a closing didn't go through, it had to do with financing. Essentially, we talked about the loan officer who provided you with a pre-approval, right? Once that happens, the loan officer takes this package and gives it to someone called an underwriter. And this is where I'm bringing in a whole nother person <laughs> uh, to this, to our, to our session. So it's a little different. This person has no heart street. And, and, and that I mean, when you talk to them, similar to talking to your housing staff, you're going to talk about why your credit Um, had the issue it had. You're going to talk about how you've been saving for your down payment. So it's going to have, that person's going to have a relationship with you, if that makes sense. You've now built a rapport with them. They they want this house for you just as much as you want this house. I mean, we really do build a a client relationship that I think is based on trust and, and the want, the willingness to kind of help them as much as we can to provide, to provide as much help as we can. Then the bank, knowing that, isn't going to leave the decision as to whether or not this person can mm-hmm. get the loan with the loan officer. They, they've got too many, <laughs> too many emotions going on in there. So they send what's called the package to, to an underwriter. And this person is going to look at things like their goal is to help with default management. They want to make sure, is this person going to be a good investment for the bank? Will they pay it back in time? So of course, they're going to be looking at your finances with a fine tooth comb. They're going to look for any inconsistencies. They're going to look at your tax records. They're going to look to see if you owe anything outside of what you mentioned. They are going to verify what you submitted. So this is where um, if you say you work for a certain company, they're going to check. If you have any sort of payments that you're making to loans, they're going to check to see if, if you're, let's say you're on some sort of repayment plan. They want to verify that. They'll ask for your bank statements. And they'll ask for it several times throughout the transaction. After 2008, with the housing crisis, it got to the point where they want to make sure uh, to check through everything as best they can to protect us from ha- having one of those types of situations we had in the past, where people weren't really weren't really qualified to purchase the home, but they were able to fudge the numbers or provide false records. So the underwriter's job is to, to do that. And so sometimes the underwriters may say there's a condition. So we can close uh-huh. on the 23rd of October, but we need to have, we need uh-huh. another bank statement for this month, if that makes sense. And then after that, the underwriter will provide them with, with what's called a clear to close. 
the idea that, yes, now you can go ahead and close. So as far as the timing of it, we always tell folks that their credit, they have to look at it as a picture and that several times throughout the process, they're going to take your picture again, if that makes sense. I think that's the simplest way to kind of describe it. People oftentimes think that they can pull their credit in the beginning and get that pre-approval and then go buy things. So the the worst case I've ever heard was a guy who got pre-approved to purchase a home on a lake. And right before his closing, he bought a boat for this lake house. However, of course, that changed his financial picture. The underwriters re-evaluated the loan and he was unable to close. So he has a boat, but he doesn't have a lake house. Oh, goodness. That falls into our whole... um... It's funny, folks, because Marie at one point was doing our home buyer education class and uh, the tribe here offers. And um, and then we kind of took it over. So we we have to I think we're more knowledgeable about the process. So we have to make sure we inform everyone. Do not touch your credit. If you are in the home process, they will check your credit. They will they will check your employer, not just credit. But for example, you may hate your job and you're like, as soon as I get this house, I'm quitting. But do not quit before <laughs> you you close on your home because up until the day of closing, they have the right to call the employer and say, does this person I mean the the most homes are anywhere between a hundred and two hundred thousand uh, dollars in my area alone. I could I can only say that that is a large investment for a bank to make. Um, and in doing so, they have the right to check these things out. And so you don't want to go quitting your job. Um, right before this process either if there are any other people that i've forgotten well um i'm Uh, trying to think if i have no i think that's pretty much i mean i know that most people wonder about the real estate agent and i would say personality and um comfortable that their comfort level it's just like any other a service that you're providing i feel like if you feel this person isn't really working Um, you're within your right to switch agents. Make sure when you're signing any contracts with them, you as the buyer, you don't have to sign a contract with them that you'll use them exclusively if if you're not comfortable with them just yet. So just always know your rights as the buyer or the seller of your home. You know, if you don't feel comfortable with that particular agent, you're within your right to uh, find someone else. You you have to, of course, you don't want to sign anything with them unless you, you know what they've described to you and explained to you what their contracts details. We get paid through the transaction. So, for example, if you're a buyer's agent and someone would represent, they would say, oh, I'm a buyer's agent. I really love working with buyers. Some agents really love working with sellers and they don't really work with buyers as much, if that makes sense. Um, They just kind of would prefer to take a listing, they call it, which means I'm going to list your home and put it in a market or an MLS system that allows other agents to see it. But as far as like the funniest thing, as I've become a part of the, this industry, it's just the misnomer that we don't actually have uh, office hours. We work in customer service. So uh, my clients are at work nine to five. That means I'm going to have to be available um, in the evening. But that doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to take them in my car and drive them around until the wee hours of the night looking for home. <laughs> you know, I think that there has to be a balance. That, that like any industry that we have towards 24-7 access. The homes, it can also be dangerous, little known fact. You know, you are entering an empty home that is usually marketed as empty. So with that, it had, a lot of times people will say, well, can't you just pick me up and take me there? That's dicey. 
I, I think it, for the most part, I prefer to meet clients at the home. I will allow them in. And then we don't, I, I don't lurk. So I'm not going to walk and say, this is the kitchen. I'm doing my Vanna White uh, hand right now. <laughs> I'm not, I'm going to say, you know, I'm not going to show every room to them. I think that, you know, it's in, in this day and age, it's best to let the client look at the home as best they can. Back in the day, agents would go in the home and they would walk the space with the client and they would talk about things like, you know, this bathroom is a lot smaller than you wanted, or this doesn't really work. This foyer doesn't really work for me or whatever the case was. And you would have this discussion in real time at the house, right? Now it's usually done in the front porch or like in the front area. Well, guess what else is there? The nest. (laughs) So you have sellers who are completely listening to the entire conversation as to whether or not you, you really like their house. And where that can come into play is when it comes to the cost. So if you jumped up and down in front of their home and said, I love it and I don't want to look anymore. This is the one for me. Do you think that seller is going to negotiate anything? They are going to say, you know what? It doesn't matter if they want the kitchen sink replaced. Maybe after the inspection, there's a sink issue. This lady loved that house so much. She's going to take it without me fixing a thing. So now we advise our clients to kind of have that conversation. Um, Wow. Uh, in the car, uh, maybe just, at the, well, let's wow. meet up at Starbucks afterwards. Maybe there's like yeah. a, if it's a, a com- community that has a, a, a pool area or a park area, let's meet there afterwards so we can discuss the home and, you know, what we like or don't like. Another funny story with that whole situation is a family was walking through the home and there was a painting on the wall. Oftentimes a seller is moving maybe because of work and therefore they don't really want to move a whole lot either. So, um, some, and some houses are so grandiose that you kind of adding things like pictures when, when something already works, it might be great if they just left it. So sometimes we can finagle that into the contract as well. Okay. We're going to purchase this house and keep the, the painting above the mantle or whatever. This particular couple loved the painting above the fireplace. And they were telling their agent, we really love this picture. We don't really, we don't, we don't want to change anything. Um, Let's see if they'll leave it. And out from the mantle, they could hear, you can keep it if you really love it. (laughs) It's it's crazy what what technology has allowed us to be able to do. I mean, I'm sure she thought she was doing a good thing by giving them this pink painting, but they actually left the house and I don't think they, they purchased it. That's crazy. All right. Oh my goodness. That's so funny. I love hearing like personal stories. You know, it's happened to everyone as far as putting in an offer. Um, that's the other thing. You might fall in love with a home, put in an offer and it's not accepted. I mean, then what? <laughs> you have to learn to move on, <laughs> like, uh, which sometimes can be hard to do. Uh, so hearing like for myself, we put in an offer and it wasn't accepted. And I remember like going back to the area and driving through there and being like super disappointed. <laughs> We didn't get this house, but I think it was my loan officer who mentioned when when you're right at the edge of whatever your pre-approval is. Meaning, if you are pre-approved for 200 and you're right at 200, it can get a little frustrating. I think that you know sometimes you have to be careful with trying to take it to the max and looking at houses that are outside of your price range because that's where that disappointment factor comes in. If you're approved for 200 and you're looking at 225, that's instant heartbreak, you know, because you're always going to want what you can't have. Um, so just staying realistic about it, giving yourself a lot of time. If you're currently renting, you can't, I mean, you can, but you know, and I don't advise starting the home buying process 30 days before your lease is up. You know what I mean? That's extra pressure, unnecessary pressure. Um, 
that you're you're going to put on yourself uh, to to try to get a deal done before you before your lease is up. Oh, absolutely. And uh, we appreciate you taking the time to do this um, and provide this information to Indian country because I think there's a lot of uh, lack of knowledge when it comes to, you know, the all the players that are in the game. Hence the reason why we have this podcast. So, um, you know, it's it's nice to be able to have someone who understands it, you know, knows those roles and can and let people know exactly what they're you know going to be dealing with so thank you thank you thank you you heard it from a real estate agent and realtor (laughs) that um tribal members go to your housing authorities they're there to help you and guide you and you know work uh, with programs like 184 and if they don't know then we need to find a way to provide that information so that everyone does know and we will actually so that's that is something that is going to be coming to the table through our podcast soon enough but um again thank you so much marie we really do appreciate it um wilms you want to wrap it up with things coming around the corner okay so yes um well uh i want to thank you marie Uh, for joining us today and thank you (laughs) we look forward to next week's podcast as well and i think you did a fantastic job on your first podcast congratulations (laughs) so that is really all i have for now and we look forward to next week's podcast recording and um We'll talk to you real soon and connect on to our Hobothinga podcast. You can go to Spotify, Apple Music. Um, and just so that you guys know, if I mean, because we're always willing to accept uh, podcast topics and whatnot, they just have to fit within our wheelhouse. And I'm sure I've mentioned it before on previous uh, podcasts. But if you guys want uh, specific topics, as long as it fits within our wheelhouse, feel free to email Wilma or myself. I'll go ahead and give myself a plug. (laughs) Uh, It's going to be Crystal Sedino. So K-R-Y-S-T-A-L-C-E-D-E-N-O at semtribe.com. So S-E-M-T-R-I-B-E.com. And then Wilma Noah is going to be W-I-L-M-A-N-O-A-H at same handle, semtribe.com, S-E-M-T-R-I-B-E.com. And um, yeah, email us if you guys need to give us a call. We are here at the Native Learning Center, 954-985-2315. My extension is 10701, (laughs) excuse me, and Wilma's is 1066. <laughs> so that real slow motion um but yeah so again thank you marie we really appreciate it and <laughs> we're gonna wrap up uh have a great week guys whenever you're listening to this bye now <laughs>